every major failure begins with compromise. Let me explain it like this. A few years ago, I'm flying back from Florida to San Antonio. My, my family and I, we went to Florida on vacation, and uh, we're flying back. But I was a college student at the time, so I was responsible to buy my own ticket. And when you're a broke college student, you don't get the one-way flight, you know, just like no stop, non-stop flight. You get the one that has like 100 connecting flights. You know what I'm talking about? And so I remember I'm flying back from, uh, from Florida to San Antonio, and I had a connecting flight in Memphis. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I go uh, to the airport on an airplane, I'm not the one, like, trying to make a new friend and talk with people. I'm the guy, like, I put my headphones in. I just want to get home. And so I remember uh, on this flight from Memphis to San Antonio, I look at my ticket, and my ticket says whatever row, uh, letter B, a.k.a. I'm in the middle seat. Now, if you have not noticed, I am a bigger guy that the middle seat is not comfortable for me. Like, I'm just, like, I'm like, I need some space. And so I remember, like, you know what, we get in this plane, and I get to my, my seat. I sit in the middle, and I, and I start doing what most of you guys start doing. I start praying that no one sits next to me. You know what I'm talking about? Like when people start walking down the aisle, you're trying not to make eye contact to see if they sit next to you. They put their luggage and you're like, please, Jesus, not this row. I want my own row. Right? And so I'm praying like, Lord, give me my own row. And so everybody boards the plane. And my, my seat on my left and my right is empty. And I'm like, favor. Yes, Lord. Praise God. I paid my tithes. You know? And so I'm just like, this is going to be great. I get my own row. I just want to get home. This is my 100th connecting flight. And while I'm getting comfortable, I really feel like God has a sense of humor and likes to play with my emotions. And uh, I, I, I'm sitting down getting ready, and the, they're about to close the door to the airplane. And all of a sudden, you hear two ladies yelling on the way to the plane. And they're like, hey, wait up. We're coming. Don't leave us. Right? And so sure enough, they enter the plane, and I'm like, please, not these seats, not these seats, Lord, come on. And they start walking down, and they're like, oh, there it is right there. And I'm like, oh, no, here we go. And for context, let me just tell you, these two women were, were larger than me. Like, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say that to make fun, but they were larger than me, and I'm in the middle. And so they sat one on my left, one on my right, and I was in that, you know, uncomfortable position where, you're in a plane, like you don't even have armrests, and you're just like, how, do I, how am I going to do this here? And I remember they, they got on a plane, and they start having a great time. They're talking to each other as if I'm not even there. Like they're having a conversation like, girl, that was so much fun. And they're talking to each other. This one girl was like, yeah, that was so crazy. Went to go hit the other girl, like pat her on the shoulder, just hit me in the chest. And like, I'm like, I'm, I'm here. Do you all know I'm here? Like. And so what do I do? I try to be nice, manipulative, and I say, hey, does anybody want to switch seats? I would love to switch seats so that you can sit next to each other. Like, no, you're fine there. I'm like, no, for real, I want to switch seats. Like, you know. And so we take off, and I'm like, okay, forget it. I just want to get home. I'm in this uncomfortable, like I don't have armrest kind of thing, just kind of squished in the middle. I was like, you know what, let me just fall asleep. And so I turn my air on, get a little cold. And I, I start to doze off. Now, 15, 20 minutes later, I wake up because I'm sweating. I'm like, why am I sweating? Why is it hot? 
And I look up in my air. I'm like, is it not working? You know, is something wrong? Do I call the flight attendant? I don't know. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's off. Maybe I should just turn it back on. So I turned my air back on. I'm like, okay, that was hot. Like, let's cool down. And I was like, you know what? Let me just go back to sleep. And so I go back to sleep, right? And 15, 20 minutes later, I wake up because I'm sweating again. And I'm like, why am I sweating? I look up and I see that my air is off. And I was like, am I tripping? Like, did I, did I dream that? Like, you ever had a dream that you did something but you actually didn't? Like, I was like, did I dream that I actually, well, uh, you know, was hot and I woke up and turned my air on but I actually didn't do it? I was like, I'm going crazy. I don't know. I just want to get home. This is my 100th flight. Let me just get home. So I turn the air back on, cool down, and then I fall asleep. 15, 20 minutes later, I wake up because I am drenched in sweat. But this time, those two armrests that was right next to me are folded all the way up. And my two new friends are closer to me than I am my own family. Like it was just, I was like, oh, okay, I don't even know you, but whatever, you know. And I'm like, hold on. I know I turned the air back on, but now it's off. So I'm like, these ladies turned my air off. I know they did. And so I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to pretend to fall asleep. I'm going to do the thing, you know, when you close your eyes, but you kind of like still have your eyelashes like this, and you're just trying to get the right angle to catch somebody. So I'm like, I'm going to pretend to fall asleep. So I pretend to fall asleep. Turn my air on. Pretend to fall asleep. Five minutes later, I hear this. Psst. Hey, girl. Is he sleeping? And the other girl goes, I don't know. Let me check. And here I am, right here, just kind of eyes a little open, and I see a hand waving in front of my face. And I'm trying not to laugh. Like, I'm just like, what in the world is happening, right? And she's waving. She goes, I think he's sleeping. Girl, turn off the air. It's cold. And so the lady next to me, she goes to turn off my air. And as soon as she goes to touch my, my little air-conditioned thing, I, like, open my eyes big. Like, I, like, I got you, right? And, and I open my eyes big. She's looking back at me. Like, I caught eye contact with her. She caught eye contact with me. She knew that I was looking at her. Like, we just, it was in that moment. And you would think she would say something different. But she just went like this. And I was like, is this really happening? And so in the moment, I wanted to be like, yo, don't touch my ear. Don't, no, it's hot. But what did I do? I didn't say anything. I was like, uh-uh, I ain't dying today, right? I tolerated it. Every major failure begins with compromise. As I look back at that story, I sometimes wonder if that is a glimpse of what Christian culture looks like. That one day, sometime, uh, either years ago, a few weeks ago, sometime in your life, you surrender your life to Jesus, you repent of your sins, you become a Christ follower, and you're like, man, I'm going to live this life differently. You think you're going to live it comfortably, but as soon as the world starts to surround us, we tend to close our eyes and ignore it. That when the world comes and tries to push their worldview on us and to tell us what sin is and what isn't based on their subjective views, we say, you know what, uh, no, this is uncomfortable, I'm just going to stay silent. 
And, we, and many of us in the church, we do this. We, you know, we, we won't claim, we, we'll say Romans 12, we'll say, man, you know, I've been, I, I, I don't conform to the world, but I've been transformed, uh, you know, by the renewing of mind. And we'll say, Chocolate Bear, I'm not conforming to the world, but the reality is you're not confronting it. You might not conform, but you're not confronting it. The reality is, first you start to tolerate sin, then sooner or later you're celebrating it. Today, as we continue our series, Letters to the Church, I hope we understand this. I hope we as Christ followers understand that we are called to be set apart, to be holy, not barely different. Oh, I don't think y'all hear me. We're not called to just be a little bit different. We're called to be set apart. And I think too many times in our culture, Christians look too much like the world. Why? I truly believe we watered down the gospel, which has watered down our faith and obedience. I think we've compromised. I think we've equated the presence of God to worship services and not worship and service. I think we've elevated the emotions and feelings that we have at church and substituted that where we can't have the presence of God in our, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools. That we isolate where the presence of God operates in our life. I think we've compromised I think we memorize more lyrics, more statistics of sports teams and athletes. I think we memorize more lines of movies and TV shows than the Word of God. I truly believe we compromise our biblical literacy for biblical selfishness. You're like, what is that, Chocolate Bear? Biblical selfishness is where we look at the things of the Bible to help us live our lives that we want to live. Not saying, hey, this is what the word of God is. Let it transform and change me. I think we've compromised as a church. I think we've compromised our convictions and values for the sake of relevancy. For the sake of not having to be offensive. To not have to confront Church, can I just say this? If we are not careful, compromise after compromise, not only will our spiritual walk, our spiritual life not look like what God intended it to be, but also an outside world is looking to Christians and they will have a wrong view of who Jesus actually is because of compromise. See, I think we say cute little sayings like, Jesus hung out with sinners. We say stuff like that. Well, here's the reality. You understand that sinners hung out with Jesus, and when they hung out with Jesus, they wanted to be more like Jesus. And my fear as a church culture, as a Christian culture, is that when we hang out with sinners, we're more eager to want to be more like them than them like us. Because of compromise. Understand that spiritual death happens one compromise at a time. Spiritual death happens one compromise at a time. Today, we're going to look to Revelation. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Obviously, you know we're in this series of letters to the church. And um, Revelation 2 is in, in the New Testament. It's the very last book of the Bible. 
And Revelation is really, it's a, it's a revelation given to John the Apostle about what the end times are going to look like. And what we're looking at, letters to the church, are seven different letters that Jesus wrote to seven different churches. We learned about the first love uh, that he talked about, return to first love in Ephesus. Last week in Smyrna, we talked about, you know, the persecuted church. Today we're going to look at Pergamos, or in some translations it says Pergamum, okay? Nothing wrong with your Bible if it says a different word. Just a different translation. So we're going to look at Pergamos, but here's some background context. Pergamos, the city of Pergamos, was the political capital of the Roman province of Asia. Like for 300 years, this was the political capital. And this is what Pergamos was known for. They were known for their culture. They were known for their wealth. They were known for their fashion. They were known for their knowledge. They had, at that time, the largest library uh, at the time, just well, full of knowledge. But they were also known for their temples and their idolatry. They had many different temples to Greek gods, gods of power, gods of healing, gods of wisdom. But they also had temples dedicated to the Roman emperor at the time. Like they worshipped the Roman emperor. They, they idolized the Roman emperor. Uh, the Roman emperor. They, they, uh, they had lordship. They gave him lordship over. And so this city was filled with idolatry and sexual immorality. It was the most evil place to be in. It was the most sinful place to be in. It was the most corrupt place to be in. And so Jesus writes this letter to the church. He says this, Revelation 2, verse 12. He said, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has this sharp two-edged sword. Again, this is Jesus writing it, okay. And I love that it says sharp two-edged sword. If you want to do some context on that. In, in Hebrews, it does talk about this sharp two-edged sword, the word of God that, that pierces and separates. And so what he's saying here is, hey, Jesus got, got something that's going to separate those who are in this church. And it says in verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Let me just stop right here. It says, I know your works. I know what you've been doing as a church. I know where you dwell. I know where your church is at. I know what you're doing. Where Satan's throne is. Like I need to clarify something with, some, with someone today. When he says Satan's throne, this is like the, the center of evil. Like here's what you need to understand. That Satan is not God. Now some of you guys are like, duh, right? Let me explain it. God, the, one of the attributes of God is that he is omnipresent. That's a fancy word that, that he can be at all places at the same time. It's omnipresent. Satan can't do that. He can only be at one place at one time. That's why I, I chuckle sometimes when people tell me as a pastor, man, Satan's really attacking me today. I'm like, huh, you're not that important. Right? Just, you think he just got rid of all the other billions of people to attack and just you today? Just because your coffee was not made right? I don't know. All right. But it says Satan's throne. So this is the evil of evil. That, that, this is where he resides. And it says this. It says, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So he goes, hey, I know all your works. I know Satan dwells in that city. But good job staying a Christian. Good job. Like I'm sure Jesus knew the persecution that they were 
facing. I'm sure he knew the opposition. I knew he, I, he, they were surrounded with pressure, pressure from different religions. He knew all these things and said, good job, like staying the course even to death. Which we say that when Antipas, right? But what's very interesting, verse 14, it says this. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. So you're like, okay, what was all that? Here's the context. Who's, you're like, who's Balaam? Who's Balaam? Okay. In Numbers, which I know nobody reads Numbers, in Numbers, this is where the Israelites are traveling to the promised land, right? And they stop in this city called Moab. And the king of Moab, which is Balak, what you just heard from, he don't like it. He goes, what's up with all these people here? It's crazy. And they're like, man, there's so many people, they might overtake our city. So Balak goes, Yo, let's put a curse on him. Calls up his homie Balaam. He's like, yo, I want you to put a curse on the Israelites. Balaam goes, I'll try, dog. We'll see. So he prays to the Hebrew God. He's like, yo, I want to curse them. But God multiple times says, no, 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 don't curse them. Bless them. So he tried to put a curse on them but couldn't because God's like, no, no, bless them. But Balaam says this. Hey, Balak, I tried. It didn't work. I, could, I tried to get God to curse him. It didn't work. So he, but, I, but I found a loophole. I know you can't, we can't get God to curse him. But if you get the Israelites to stumble, a.k.a. if you get them to compromise on, this, on their sin, they'll tell, take themselves out. And so he goes, hey, get them to stumble with sexual immorality, with sacrifice to idols. It's the same thing that happened in the Nicolaitans. And then what happens? He says, Hey, they stumbled, they compromised on something that I hate. Whew, strong language we don't use in church. We're like, oh, God is about love. Redeemer. Then this one, he goes, no, I hate sin. Every major failure begins with compromise. Here's what I want you to understand. That our Lord hates religious and moral compromise. He hates it. Hates our moral compromise on sin. So Jesus goes, hey, you've compromised in sin and these things I have against you. Now, I don't know if you read the context. He didn't say the whole church compromised. He said a few of them. A few people in the church. Now, if I'm in that church, I'd be like, I didn't do nothing. Get them, right? But why does he address the whole church? I think God understands with false doctrine, with compromise of sin, that you put the whole body at risk of unbiblical influence. Oh, come on. I think this is a purification of the church. In America, we don't talk about the purification of the church. We just talk about how can we get more people in. And in Scripture, it's like, no, let's purify the church because of compromise. See, in the old, you know, like in today, if you don't compromise on your sin and your value, you know what you're called? Oh, you're not relevant. You're intolerant. You're a goody two-shoe. You're a Pharisee. You're uptight. 
You're not inclusive. That's what we talk about in 2023. You know, back in the day, if you didn't compromise on your sin and your values, you know what you're called? Holy. And set apart. Holy. Set apart. Different. See, they tolerated false doctrine. And many of us in the church would say, well, we don't do that. Well, how often do we overlook something for the sake of not having to confront? How often do we overlook, you overlook maybe a sin in a, in a friend or a family member's life because you just don't want to make it awkward. You don't want that confrontation. You want to just live comfortably. Every major failure begins with compromise. Can I show you what compromise looks like? Can I do that? This is a little heavy in this room. Y'all good? All right. Let me show you a little bit what compromise looks like. I want you to pretend that on this stage, and you don't need to pretend because Chocolate Bear has something for you. There's a line down the middle of this stage. And on each side of the line, you got two different paths. You see it? One left, one right. And on one side of the line, you've got Jesus. You've got holiness. But on the other side of the line, we've got sin, rebellion, rejection. Let me show you what compromise looks like. Compromise is when we start to justify our actions based on our subjective view. Basically what we do is we use words like, it's just. This is what compromise looks like. We try to get closer and closer to the line without actually going over. We say, man, it's just a TV show. It's just a movie. It's, it's just a few curse words. It's just one nudity scene. It's just lyrics on, on, on a song. That's just what it is. How about this one? It's just five miles an hour over the speed limit. I got some of y'all right now. Yeah. Some of y'all convicted right now. Boom. Right? Or, ready? It's just one drink. I'm not drunk. It's just one puff, one smoke. I can control it. It's just one pill. It's just... One taco. <laughs> Gluttony still a sin. Every major failure begins with compromise. Because what happens is oftentimes when you start saying it's just, you don't even realize you crossed the line. Like so many people, it's just, it's just one text. It's just one DM. It's just a few pictures. Oh, he's such a great guy. We're just living together. We're going to get married eventually, and you just don't even know. You just crossed the line. Because we tried to justify these things. We say, oh, you know what? It's just words. It was just a joke. It's just a little bit of gossip. Listen, that's my homegirl. I tell her everything. It's just a little bit of a secret. It's because of what they did to me that I responded like that. And I see so many Christians compromise their holiness because someone else's sin. 
And we think we have the right to. Now, some of you guys are like, oh, well, that's not me, Chocolate Bear. I'm not sitting like that. Well, if this is holiness, I wonder how many times we step into the presence of God, but we say it's just. And we treat God as common. It's just another Sunday. It's just another worship service. It's just another sermon. It's just another altar call. I can do it later. And we compromise. We compromise. Now, some people don't just get to the edge of the line and try to tiptoe it. Some people like to go the extra mile. Like, some of us not only just say just, we're just doing this, we're just doing that. But some of us like to hover over the line. You know what I'm talking about? It's almost as if we put this harness on. Oh, here, yeah, we're about to do Mission Impossible here. Oh. Except for I'm not Tom Cruise. I'm like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. You're welcome. No, just. So some of us, we don't just like to get to the edge of the line. Some of us say, oh, you know what? I want to see how close over we can get without actually touching. Oh, hold me tight, guys. <laughs> I feel like I'm, hold on. All right, come on, come on. Let's go, let's go, let's see. And so it's like, I feel like I'm doing like uh, Michael Jackson, like smooth criminal. Da -da 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 -da. And, and we just go, and we go like this. Oh, I'm not touching the line. I'm getting close, but I'm not. All right, you guys can pull me up. Ah! Thank you, guys. Many of us do that. We compromise. We say, well, I'm close, but I'm not there. And we find the bare minimum of what we have to obey, but still stay on this side of the line. Some people do this. We say, well, God has grace. And so you know what? As long as I have grace to use, I can, as long as I'm close to the line, I can stay on this side. Because I can hop over real quick. And this is when we abuse the grace of God. And we treat God as, a, as someone that is a, a genie instead of having a relationship with him. Because you understand that every time you cross this line, yes, it separates you from God, but it breaks the Father's heart. Now, some of us will do this. Y'all going to get mad at me for this one. Some of us, we, we don't read the Bible enough or we don't have biblical literacy enough and we say, God will never say that. He would never draw that line. Or that's not my line. My line is a little bit further this way. Approach to sin. Some people are convicted, but no, my line's a little bit further. And we, we, we just say, you know what? This is where I draw my line. I know you're just there. Guys, we can't take a subjective approach to truth. It's either true or not true. You don't get to choose how true it is. And so that line 
stays there. But we sometimes try to figure out how close to the line we can get. Can I tell you this? Our goal as Christ followers not, should not be of how close we can get to the line without going over. Our goal as Christ followers to turn and look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who is holy, who is worthy to be praised. And our goal should not be to see how close to the line we can get without going over. But our goal should be saying, man, Jesus, you are holy and worthy and I want to be more like you. And it's not about... Looking back to a line to say, man, I, I, I want to see how much fun I can have while I'm still on earth. No, it's God. You are everything. And I want to be like you. And if you are far away from the line, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Every major failure begins with compromise. What people don't understand, though, is that failure isn't just one moment. It's a series of compromises. You think David and Bathsheba just happened like that? No. Started off, started off with a series of compromises. But here's what it says in, oh, should I even say this? Okay, I'm going to say it because I've said it first service. So many people also say, well, Chocolate Bear, I'm not crossing the line. I love Jesus. But can I just be real? There's some people that are tolerating their friends and family member crossing the line. That you know that they're crossing the line, but you say, you know what, I'm not doing it. You say, I don't condone their actions. Yeah, but you're also not confronting it. And we're letting people cross the line into an eternity away from God, saying, I'm good. I'm okay. I hope they figure it out. But if you're a follower of Jesus, not only should we want to be in God's presence and his holiness, but we should be wanting to prevent people from ever crossing this line. Verse 16 says this. Repent, which means to change your mind, to turn 180, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them. Bro, he said, you better change or else I'm going to come fight you. Anybody want to fight Jesus? Nah, you ain't winning. <laughs> will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. It's the change. Do something different. Repent. Live differently. Purify yourself. Purify the church. I wrote this. If you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. A.K.A. if you want to change, you can't just desire to change. You got to put steps in your path to change. You got to physically turn. You have to change your heart, your desire, your actions. And then he gives us a promise, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. He says, hey, you've compromised, but if you...